0: Welcome to the Institute of World Mission weekly podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field.
1: Hello, hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me for the Institute of World Mission Podcasts today. I'm your host, Alex Ott, and this is the podcast for Adventist expatriate missionaries. Now, if you are serving cross-culturally on a short-term basis, maybe just one year, or if you are a longer-term career missionary, welcome. Welcome, of course, to all cross-cultural mission enthusiasts, support staff, teachers, missiologists, leaders, To everyone whose heart goes out for the gospel to cross boundaries, cultural boundaries. And for the gospel to reach the unreached. Now, we all want to see Jesus come, don't we? And it is such a privilege to be in this work together, together with you. Today's interview is with David Trim. David is the director for the Office of Archives, Statistics and Research, in short, ASTR which is at the General Conference. David grew up as a missionary kid, lived and served in different continents, and today he and his team at ASTR play a very important role in how our church understands the past, present, and future of missions. Recently, David wrote a book called A Living Sacrifice. It's a book, I believe, every Adventist aspiring and experienced missionaries should read. You simply won't be the same again after reading this book. I know I'm different. It changes me. We talk more with David about this book towards the end of the interview. Stay tuned for that. And now to the interview itself. David, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast.
0: Alex, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: So would you please share with our listeners just a little bit more about you, your background, a little bit about your current ministry, anything you'd like?
0: Certainly. I was born in Bombay, what is now officially called Mumbai, but everyone of, the, of my generation that I know in India still calls it Bombay. So obviously a city in India, one of the largest cities. I was born there where my parents were serving as missionaries. My parents actually, in the end, served the church in five different countries, in Australia, New Zealand, India, Thailand, and Britain. My father's Australian, my mother is English. We moved back to my father's homeland of Australia when I was a boy, and I grew up there. But when I was a teenager, moved to my maternal homeland of Britain, and I have both Australian and British passports. I studied as an undergraduate at Newbold College, Adventist College in Great Britain. Later did my PhD at King's College London. I was on the faculty of Newbold for 10 years and then at Pacific Union College and Adventist College in the Napa Valley north of San Francisco. Two years and in October of 2010 the annual council of that year elected me director of the Office of Archives and Statistics as it then was subsequently renamed the Office of Archives Statistics and
1: Research. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Now That plays, what you just said at the end, plays very nicely into my second question. You are the director of ASTR. Yes. What does the office of ASTR do? I mean, we can glean a little bit from the name, but could could you share with us? Certainly, yes. The name actually, in some ways, isn't as
0: informative as as it might be. If we were to have an acronym that included everything we do, it would be probably eight letters. (laughs) (laughs) once worked that out. So it's A-S-T-R, and that's the acronym we use in the church, and I think it's becoming moderately well-known amongst at least church employees, and perhaps a little bit among the wider membership. We deal with the General Conference's records management program. We also, though, have a, a commission from the General Conference Executive Committee to assist in coordinating archives, centers, and historical research around the world. So as part of that, we set standards for quality for archives and records management around the world, and we try to promote the creation of archives and especially record centers at church administrative headquarters. And indeed in the last eight years, we've we've seen a lot of growth in that area as the understanding that archives and records are not just boring technical responsibility, something perhaps we're legally obliged to do with certain records, actually archives contain the story of how God has worked in his people's past. And so I think there's a growing understanding of that, and that's why we're seeing a growth in the number of archives and record centers. So that's, there's that role, which is all summed up in the word archives, but actually encompasses a role both within the General Conference building, the World Headquarters building, and actually around the world. Statistics is also perhaps not as informative as it might be because it includes the Seventh-day Adventist yearbook, now, the yearbook actually first started being published in the late 1880s. It was discontinued for a time in the 1890s and then it was started publishing again in 1904 and ever since. The yearbook is the master source for information about the Seventh day Adventist I, Church.
1: I go to it every so often, and right. constantly drawing information. Well, that's
0: good to know. And increasingly, what we're talking about is not the printed book. But the, the online, year, that's where I go. Again. Yes, the yearbook database, which is AdventistYearbook.org. Since 1907, there's also been a separate printed annual statistical report, as it's called, but actually the annual statistical report dates back to 1866. The 1865 General Conference Session, the third, mandated that every year there should be a report of the numbers of believers, of congregations, of ordained and licensed pastors, and of tithes and offerings. And so that's been reported every year. Traditionally, it got reported in the pages of the church's flagship journal, the Adventist Review, or Review and Herald, as it used to be called. But from 1907, it started to be a separate annual statistical report. So we have an archives and records team that works under me under one assistant director. There's a second yearbook and statistics team under another assistant director. Their work is very much focused on the annual cycle Mm -hmm. of producing these two books but also of managing the databases that are associated with them, which are AdventistYearbook.org and AdventistStatistics.org. And most of your listeners, I'm sure, don't realize that at AdventistStatistics.org they can download or view statistics for the World Church from 1863 and indeed for any of the entities of the World Church, the components, missions, conferences, unions, divisions, for any time period. We also then have what's called the Research Function, Mm with which is evaluation. Evaluation is a process by which we evaluate the mission effectiveness of certain large GC programs or media. That includes research but it's very focused. So the research and evaluation team is is the third team under the research and evaluation manager and really the research there, though it doesn't say so in the title, is about human subject research, social science type research, But all the large research we do is to be part of the strategic planning process of the World Church. I serve as secretary of the World Church Strategic Planning Committee. The research and evaluation manager is also on that committee. And we take the research. The big projects, which actually get commissioned every quinquennium after the five yearly general conference session, they say, this is the research we want. But then we also facilitate the creation of the strategic plan. So there's another large component that you wouldn't guess at all from the title. And then we come to historical research. When the offices added research to the title in 2011, they were really thinking of this survey-based empirical human subject research. But of course, we have the church's archives, and I am actually an an historian, and so we also carry out historical research. I'm happy to say that the offices have increasingly been asking us to do historical research projects that inform our understanding of where the Church has come from, where it's going, but it does help us understand the trajectory of the Church's foreign mission enterprise. That's a term, by the way, that Arthur Daniels, GC president for 21 years, used, the missionary enterprise of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And seeing that history enables us to see the trajectory and to understand that we actually peaked in terms of that enterprise in the late 1960s.
1: Is that right? Okay.
0: By many metrics and ways of defining it. And so the last 40 years in a, or 50 years have been almost in some sense of decline. And so realizing that and arresting it and turning it around and making the church more focused again on
1: its missionary enterprise.
0: Yes, exactly. On what used to be called foreign mission or overseas mission, which was fine when there was a couple of mission homelands, maybe three, which was North America, Western Europe, and Australasia. But that term just doesn't work today because almost all missionaries may be going overseas, but not necessarily. They may be going within Asia or Eurasia. From everywhere to everywhere. From everywhere to everywhere, exactly. So, what we mean by missionary work today and that, what is that missionary enterprise today? It means cross cultural mission, it means mission to unreached or greatly underreached. People People groups. groups.
1: Exactly.
0: What we need as a missionary enterprise, as something by which the whole world church draws resources and says we will take resources from where the church is strong and apply them to where it is weak, that has to mean mission is to those unreached or underreached countries, areas, and people groups. Unentered areas, unreached or underreached people groups. That's what our mission was, Alex, when it started. That's what foreign mission was. Mm -hmm. And, of course, The success has meant that what used to be mission fields are now often blessed with considerable resources. And so we need to, though, move from our mindset of thinking Africa and Latin America are the mission fields. For most of the parts of those areas, they're not. But there are still vast regions and billions of people who have yet to hear our
1: message. I'm so thrilled to see and hear how the historical research that you guys have been doing is informing our missions today. And my heart beats hard and I know the hearts of our listeners who are part of of a missionary enterprise, their hearts are beating fast and hard as well. David, I know that ASTR, your office, is part of what's called Mission Family, the general conference at Secretariat. Yes. And you're already building these bridges to, to help us understand why. But can you add anything? How is your office is right in the middle of this missionary enterprise that Secretariat is undertaking in our world church? Great question. And we do
0: see it that way. I don't know that since 1975, AST and it always saw itself in that way. But we definitely see ourselves that way now as contributing to that missionary enterprise. The term mission family could be highly easily misunderstood. So it's probably best to explain that it's just an informal term that we use in the General Conference for entities that come under the General Conference Secretary. So that includes the secretariat proper, we might say, which are the associate secretaries who have a variety of responsibilities, historically chiefly relating to mission and missionaries, increasingly now relating to governance and the policing of policy. And whether that's the best development is one. Actually, I think we all agree on that it's not, and it just kind of happened gradually and evolved, and that's part of the value of the historical research to say you know, this isn't where we would have wanted to be. If we'd said to people 50 years ago, is this where you want the Secretariat to be in 50 years? Nobody would have said yes. It just happened gradually, and we can understand why. But so there's the Secretariat, there's International Personnel Resources and Services, IPRS.
1: Which our community knows very Which well,
0: our community yeah. knows because they deal with it regularly. Though, of course, we may have some listeners who aren't from that particular community. There's the Institute of World Mission, which trains missionaries provides some care for them and, at least for some, tries to smooth their entry back into their original society. There's Adventist volunteer services, which is sort of like IPRS, but for those who are only serving for a year at a time. There's also Adventist membership systems, which helps implement software that can help local churches as well as administration in missions, conferences and so forth to keep track, accurate track of membership, which is crucial for all for both for pastoral care, but also for strategic planning and for mission.
1: So research that you guys are undertaking, including historical research, some research that is directly applicable to missions and statistics that drive the strategic report. I mean, I can see all of these that are directly contributing to sure, the sure.
0: worlds of cross-cultural missions. Well, and there, there's one other part of of Mission Family, though, which is the Office of Adventist Mission, which I think is widely misunderstood. I think a lot of people assume, oh, it's responsible for mission, and it's not. Mission is supposed to be done by everybody. It really is in charge of promoting mission and giving to mission, making people aware of it, and of church planting in areas where there aren't churches. So there, there it does have a responsibility for mission, as we're talking about it, Alex, as Reaching as entering unentered areas and reaching unreached people groups, and, but a lot of its role is actually mission promotion. And is there as much crossover between all these entities as there could be and ideally should be? The truth is, no. We need to have closer ties. But since 2010, under the current GC Secretary Dr. G T Ong, there has been more collaboration. But there is still a tendency to operate on separate lines. And so, what you're talking about—the historical research, the statistical analysis is being used by other parts of the so-called mission family, but probably it could be used more, and, say, Institute of World Mission is supposed to be doing some research and analysis. IPRS probably should, and you know, there's, there's, there's more that could be done, and there's more that could be done collaboratively.
1: I'm happy that there is you know, a place to grow and, and, and a desire to grow in all of these things. Now, David, I know that you recently published a book. Yes. Yes. And it's a book about missionaries. Well, let, let, not, let me not talk about it. Let me ask you, can you share with our audience what is this book that you wrote and what it's about?
0: Obviously, I'd be delighted to. But first, let me ask you a question. How much do you know about missionaries of the past?
1: Very little, unfortunately. I do like reading biographies, and I've read some of the biographies of our pioneers, but not a lot about missionaries of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And
0: such as we know, are tend to be individual biographies, occasionally sort of joint biography of a man and a wife or a family, or their memoirs. There are memoirs Mm. by missionaries. But those books were mostly published in the 1960s and 70s, and people of a certain generation, including mine, but probably also including some of our listeners, coming into their mind's eye are the covers of certain books many of them written by a lady called Norma Youngberg, who herself had been a missionary, and indeed her husband, died in the mission field, having been imprisoned by the Japanese during World War II, died in Borneo. And she wrote quite a number of books or helped missionaries write their memoirs. But for whatever reason, the church stopped publishing those books around 1980. They just stopped publishing those kind of books. Perhaps they weren't profitable. But so there did used to be those stories and biographies but they've been uncommon in recent years, that's the first thing, but the second thing is, by definition, the memoir of a missionary (laughs) that they write themselves means that they came home. And if a biography is written about a missionary, then the chances are that they became fairly well-known and significant in the work of the church, maybe famous, maybe went from being a missionary in some country to becoming a, a senior figure in the church.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. So what does that mean? It means that such stories as we have of missionaries are about a very small cross-section. And almost by definition, they're about successful missionaries. Now, Alex, do you think all missionaries are successful?
1: In some way or another, all are. And at the same time, it depends how we evaluate
0: that. Exactly. It depends how we evaluate. But the truth is, we know many missionaries would have felt themselves that they weren't always being successful. Definitely. And if we just measure their success in how long they served, the impact they had, did they have hundreds or thousands of members added while they were in a mission field? The truth is for many it would be no. Does that mean that their commitment and their work and sometimes their sacrifice was any less significant, do you think? Not at all. Not. I agree with you. So this book is an attempt to tell the stories of people no one's ever heard of
1: missionaries. Yes.
0: But that's, that's at, at its heart. That's the, the, it's about. It's about telling the stories of missionaries nobody's ever heard of because they suffered, and in many cases died, and in many cases further, died very quickly. So it's about missionary sacrifice, and it's called a living sacrifice. It's taken, of course, from the words of the Apostle Paul, that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, and that this is indeed our proper service that, that God expects of us. Now, many of us don't do that, or at least we don't do it in the most obvious way. In the early to mid-20th century, Adventists did this regularly. They offered their bodies as living sacrifices, and many of them died. And so, if our listeners were to read the book, they might see a couple of names they recognize, but most of them they'll never have heard of. Why? Because these people went and they died. I dedicated the book to my mother a missionary who told me other missionary stories when I was young, and herself was a writer. And I was talking with her, she lives in England, I was on FaceTime with her last Sabbath as I tried to be every Sabbath, and she said she'd read another chapter, but she could only read a chapter at the time because everybody keeps dying. And I said, "Yeah, yup, and it's gonna stay that way. <laughs> but actually, though in the last third, I tell the stories of missionaries who didn't die. Because of course you can sacrifice yourself In two ways. One is you, and you can give your life for missions in two ways. One is you actually give up your life and die. But the other is that you give your life to people whom you've never met and would otherwise never have met. And you dedicate your life. And I think some of our listeners will know, but missionaries, the early Adventist missionaries in the, I'm talking here from about the late 1890s through to the 1950s, went not for three to five years. They went for decades. Right. And if they got furlough, it was typically after 10 years. Sometimes they'd be lucky and have it after seven. <laughs> well, seven years is more than many uh, of our missionaries or uh, ISEs. Today. Serve at all. Yes, they serve it all. And so there are people who spent 30, 40, even 50 years. 50 years is unusual. 30 and 40 years, I would say, was by no means unusual. And so the last part of the book is about people who gave their lives to mission in a different sense. They didn't die, but they spent decades in, a, in countries.
1: Basically, they gave their life, their career, they their gave everything th- to they did people that they served.
0: And they had immense sacrifices often because they very often suffered terribly from diseases for which at that time there was no cure. And also they gave up their family. They gave up their connection with their, their parents their brothers and sisters, of course, all their family and friends. The done thing back in the early 20th century, and not just for missionaries, but for imperial government officials and people working in business, was to send your children home to boarding school. Partly because the standards of education perhaps were not so good. And for Adventists in particular, even if there were good secular schools in a mission area, they would want them to go to an Still Adventist school. Still go
1: to the Adventist school.
0: Yeah. Right, right. And indeed, my parents returned from India to Australia earlier than they otherwise would have, because the church had closed the school to which missionaries were educated, that was in India, and they had to send they would have had to have sent all of us, I'm the youngest of five, to Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that was a long way away, much further. And my older sister did go there, and she had contracted, even in the late 1960s, contracted a tropical disease, almost died very unhappy, and so my parents felt, well, we have to go back to Australia. Otherwise, my life would have been completely different, Alex. And of course, there are many missionaries still who go home earlier than they might because they're concerned about the education of their children. And this is a common, common theme. Well, back in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, even 40s, people would go on furlough and often leave their children behind to go to an Adventist academy, often in the United States, you don't see them then for another seven to ten years.
1: That's a sacrifice.
0: That's a massive sacrifice. And only parents would appreciate it. Also, perhaps children. And I'm sure we've got missionary kids who are listening, and some of them made that sacrifice because their parents sent them to boarding school thinking they were doing the best thing. And for some children, it is. For some, it probably isn't. But think of the difference, you know, just... The difference between a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old is, <laughs> is huge. That's just four years. And so what you're talking about is people gave up their children in effect. They mm-hmm. go back after, after you know seven to maybe 10 or 12 years, and they meet people who they don't know, who have finished high school, college, perhaps even married. And these are their, their family, and yet they, so they, they really have sacrificed in a, in a profound way. And I think probably in today's rather touchy-feely society, Alex, people would sort of think, well, that was wrong. It's hard to judge, but it was definitely a sacrifice for those families in question. So even the people who give their lives, even apart from the fact that they give up comforts, that they give up seeing their parents, sometimes they give up being able to bury their parents, and that they may suffer horribly from all kinds of tropical diseases... And if any of our listeners are squeamish, then you know, they want to be careful reading the book because some of, the, some of the, the experiences people had were pretty grim. But even apart from all that, they then had this, this sense in a way of losing their children because they gave them up. And so a living, that, that title, A Living Sacrifice, it actually works on a number of levels. There's a range of sacrifices of lives going on. But here's the thing, Alex. Without that, there would not be the Seventh-day Adventist Church that we know today.
1: Exactly. And the reason we're talking about this because this is one of the few books that portrays missionary life. It's inspirational. It, It moves your heart. And we would just really hope to make this book one of those that our missionaries read, give to their children to read, and so that they are able to see the blessing, to see God's actions and movements in their lives and to see how privileged sometimes we are today in doing God's work and being in a better condition than before. And David, I have a question for you. Where, and that's a logical question everybody probably right now has, (laughs) where can we get hold of that book?
0: So it can be obtained online from the Adventist Book Center website. Okay. You can order it there for those who are in North America. On annual leave, or for those who are not serving as ISEs and live there, you can find it in your local Adventist book center, but you can obtain it online.
1: I think it's on Amazon as well, right? (sighs) That's where I found it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Pacific Press doesn't formally, and the Adventist book centers don't formally sell their books through Amazon, which is probably a mistake. But of course, all kinds of things end up on Amazon. People buy their own copies and then sell them secondhand. So yes, I'm pretty sure you can get it through Amazon as well.
1: No, the digital version is on Amazon, is it? if I'm not mistaken. That's where I bought it the recently. Kin- for a yeah. Kindle or for, something. For Kindle. Yeah. And I have it on my Kindle days. Well it's I 100. did I did not know that, so you see I've learned something. I'm glad. I'm glad. So our <laughs> listeners can know that at least, you know, right now I'm in the United States. I don't live here, but I'm here. And I was able to see it right right, on Amazon for Kindle. Right,
0: and you know it—it is. Some readers may look at and think, you know, why is he just telling all these horrible stories? I think there are multiple answers. One is that we don't understand how the church we know and love today was built on that sacrifice. But second, these sacrifices were known because they were published in the church's papers back in the days when every Adventist subscribed and, and most read church papers. And yet there's never a lack of people coming forward to take their place. And so these are people who they are asked to go. The church asks them to go. God moves on their hearts to go. And they know that they are literally taking their life in their hands. But they're willing to do it. And that is the inspiring part. Even for the people who die, go and die after six months, they have all been willing to answer. And we, of course, know the the famous passage in Isaiah where you know, heaven looks around and says, who can we send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And that was the spirit for so many missionaries, forgotten because they sacrificed. And so I try to you know, remind us of those people who were their forgotten sacrifices, but also to remind us of that spirit. Who will go? Here I am, send me.
1: David, thank you very much for speaking with me today, speaking with us. Appreciate your contribution.
0: Thank you, Alex. Thank you.
1: Now let's turn to our usual community announcements part. Here's where I share what's going on in our community. What's exciting? What projects keep us busy? Or what's new and available from the IWM Adventist.org website? First off, we just launched a brand new course. It's called Fundraising for Mission. friends. The course is live. It's available. It will help you create a framework for effective fundraising, of course, for mission purposes. If fundraising is something you feel you should be doing, but somehow haven't been able to wrap your head quite around it yet, this is help. To find it, go to iwm.adventist.org forward slash course dash catalog. Or even better, Find the link in our show notes for this episode. Second, unfortunately, since our first announcement last week, we haven't had a lot of submissions in our podcast end-of-the-year survey. This is the 2019 podcast survey. If you are a listener, if you care for this show and you do want to help us improve the podcast, please take this survey. It will only take three, maybe maximum five minutes if you'll want to provide some of this text-based input at the end of the survey. It's anonymous. Your feedback will really help. The link is in the show notes or go to iwm.adventist.org forward slash podcast survey. By the way, if you have a couple of minutes, the best would be if you did that right after the end of this episode. Thirdly, we already opened the registration page for our webinar in December. Yes, December is around the corner already. It's hard to believe. And on December 19, we will discuss language acquisition or what skills are needed to make the process of learning a new language much easier and actually very doable. Register at iwm.adventist.org forward slash webinars. Again, the link is in the show notes. My name is Alex Ott, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.